Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. If you have your Bibles, I would ask that you would turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we will continue our study in John's Gospel, but we are going to cover from verses 30 to verse 59 today. Those of you who know me know this, that sometimes we get to a particular word and and we will preach that word. Or maybe it's a phrase, or maybe it's one verse or two verses, or maybe six. But today we are going to travel a good distance because I, in, in my laboring this week, could not disconnect any part from this truth. And so we're going to look at it in its entirety. We're going to look at it in a message entitled, Still Missing the Point of the Bread of Life. We're going to see that Jesus is going to again address this mob, this crowd, who continually misses the point. He's going to do that today, and He's going to unveil for us what we know as theologians, the the seven I Am statements of Christ. And He's going to reveal the first one today, and He's going to tell them, I am the bread of life. Now, if you've been in this study, you know this, that that phrase, I am, is the Greek phrase, ego, I me. And it's Jesus saying that I am God, Yahweh, here in flesh. And I'm standing before you. And He has been teaching this principle as we have learned about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and that He is truly divine, that He is fully man, but yet at the same time, He is fully God. And He is here again standing before them And He's going to claim to be the bread of life. And He's going to teach them about what the significance is to that claim. But they're still going to miss the point. My fear is this, that many of you have heard the claims of Jesus thus far. And you are still missing the point as to who He is. My prayer for you today is this, that He would open your eyes for you to see the truth. That He would open your ears for you to hear the truth. That He would... Quicken and make alive your dead spirit that you could spiritually receive the things of God today in Christ and that you would, in fact, believe and be cleansed of your sin. Changed forever and reconciled to our Holy Creator. We're going to look at this text in John chapter 6 and I will travel as slow as I can, as slowly as I can, as long as I can travel as quickly as I must. And so let's jump in and we will read this together. John chapter 6, verses 30 through 59. And then we will do as always and we will come back and we will explain it verse by verse and line by line as to what the text is teaching us. John chapter 6, verse 30. We know that this falls on the heels of Jesus' statement in verse 29 where He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the One who He has sent. He made it very clear last week that a work of God is required and that that work of God is to believe that God is going to do a work into all of those who by faith trust in Christ. He's going to clarify a lot of that for us today in his teaching that we will see that he gives. But in verse 30 it starts out and it says so they asked him what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? These people still wanting something from Jesus and not acknowledging who Jesus is, right? It would be great if we read verse 30 after 29 and it says that they fell on their face in awe of who He was and they confessed their sin and they humbly trembled before Him and and, and cried out to Him, Lord, have mercy on our souls. But that's not what happened. What happened is they said, do something else for us. Verse 31 says, "Our, our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is My Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. They're not quite understanding. They're still thinking from a humanistic perspective. Intelligence from a human viewpoint. 
Verse 35, it says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me will never be hungry. And he who believes in Me will never be thirsty. Verse 36, But as I told you, you have seen Me, and still you do not believe. Now, we know this. They haven't spiritually seen Jesus. They have only physically seen Jesus with their physical eyes. Of course, He's standing right there before them. He goes on in verse 37, and He says this, All that the Father gives Me will come to Me. And whoever comes to Me, I will never drive away. We're going to see the promises contained there in just a moment. Verse 38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do My will, but to do the will of Him who sent Me. And this is the will of Him who sent Me, that I shall lose none of all that He has given Me, but raise them up at the last day. For My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about Him because He said, I am the bread that came from he- down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know? How can He now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him. And I will raise Him up at the last day. 45 says, It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. I guess so. Here He is teaching the multitude. It will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to Me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. Verse 48, He says this, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. He says, your forefathers ate of a temporary substance that God provided for them in a miraculous way. But I am providing for you an eternal substance in a miraculous way. Here I am right before you. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That very interesting thing that he says, and of course it caused some questions, didn't it? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Now, before you all walk out and say, this got weird, there's going to be a great explanation for this. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my body is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And then it seems as if by accident he throws this in here. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. It was very important. Jesus teaching here in a Jewish synagogue these truths. And what he is doing is he is comparing himself to a story and a testimony that they knew full well, the testimony of the manna that Moses had given them. And they knew that this testimony, because Moses had given them the testimony and passed it down, they had read about it their whole life, how God had provided for them miraculously manna to sustain them. And Jesus is teaching them in the synagogue about the manna and the fact that He is this bread of life, a term that they should understand. Not just for temporal life, as the Old Testament manna was, but for eternal life. And so what I want to do today is I want us to look at this in detail and to see all of the things that this passage passage contains for us this morning. The first thing I want you to see is, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is the point missed. The point missed. Verses 30 through 34, we see that these people are still missing the point. 
Hence, the title of this message, Still Missing the Point of the Bread of Life. But watch what he says to them and what goes on here in verses 30 through 34. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is referring to Himself. He's saying that that manna that you know of from Moses that was passed down, the stories that have been told, that manna was a picture of me and I'm here. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. They didn't want Christ. They wanted another sandwich. And Jesus is saying to them, I am the true, eternal bread of life. I came from the Father for for bigger things than just to fill your stomach. Remember in the last lesson, He told them, you don't seek Me because you've seen the signs and know who I am. You seek Me because you saw Me feed the multitude and you just want more carnal needs to be met. Jesus is showing them again that I'm not here just to meet your carnal needs. In fact, I am here for so much more than that. I am here to meet your eternal need and to provide for you eternal salvation and reconciliation with the Heavenly Father who I came from. So the point is missed. They're demanding more from Jesus because they've missed the point. How many times have we seen this in just a few short lessons? Here they are again. Do something for us. They're still not bowing to Him in reverence. They're still not repenting of their sin. Confessing their need for Him. Acknowledging His deity and worshiping Him. They're not doing any of that. No, they're saying, Jesus, give us more. Show us something. We want something tangible. We, we want something temporal and earthly. We don't want something by faith and supernatural and eternal. We can't even see those things. They kept demanding things from Jesus. Still, not approaching Him with brokenness and humility. Many still, to this day, approach Jesus in the same manner, don't they? You come seeking only what Jesus may do for you. They were doing the same thing again. Despite all that they had already seen Him do and all that they had already heard Him say. Now, they were spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. They could not hear the things of the Spirit. All of us in our sin, we are in that condition. But they did see with their eyes these miracles, their human eyes. They did hear His teaching, that general call of the Gospel. But yet, they still wanted human, tangible, worldly things. Jesus is going to reveal this to them, that they missed the point. Demanding more from Jesus, despite all that they had seen, still continuing down that path, carnal thinking, And then dismissing all that Jesus has already commanded them. Just in the last lesson, He told them, you have to believe. Well, they ignored every single thing that He said. They're not believing that Jesus is who He says that He is. We saw that when we read the whole text. They're saying, isn't this Joseph and Mary's kid? We know His parents. They haven't listened to a word that He has proclaimed. The point was missed. And I want to say that and bring this out in this text because Isaiah said this about this particular group of people. He said in in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, there's a statement found there that says that they are ever hearing, but never understanding. Ever seeing, but never perceiving. Meaning this, they have seen physically and heard physically They have not yet seen and heard spiritually. They are still spiritually dead. And because they are spiritually dead, they are missing the point. Many of you come in week after week after week and you go, man, you leave and what was the point? Those of you who are in Christ don't. You leave here and I pray this, you are in awe of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us to save wretched sinners like ourselves. There are many who continue 
You missed the point. We see the point missed. Secondly, in verses 35 through 40, we see the powerful message. The powerful message. Jesus is going to give a powerful message to this crowd. In fact, after this message, we are going to see in the lessons to come, many of them depart from Christ and never look back. He's going to give a powerful message in 35 through 40 here to this crowd. It says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. They were saying, Give us this bread, right? Give us something temporal. And Jesus said, Oh, no, you're still not getting it, guys. What I give is eternal. Verse 36 says, But as I told you, you have seen me. And still, you do not believe. Now watch this. I want you to pay close attention to what follows. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. Verse 39. He says this. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose, watch this, none, that I shall lose none of all that He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. Now, in that, there is a powerful message that oftentimes we pick and choose which part of that that we like to stand in. I want to encourage you today to choose to stand in the entirety of that message. We're going to see in those few verses, in verses 35 to 40, Jesus is teaching here in this passage the sovereignty of God and sovereign grace in saving men right alongside of the truth of the responsibility of man to believe. We see here two truths unveiled for us. Now, Spurgeon said it like this. Whenever you see two truths, these two truths never contradict each other. Why? Because they're both true. And so Jesus is going to give us a great teaching here on the sovereignty of God in saving man. We know that the doctrines of grace include things like election and predestination and all those things that many are afraid to talk about where God sovereignly does a work of regeneration in the life of an unbeliever bringing them to faith in Christ. But we also see that the other side of that coin is the responsibility of man. And Jesus includes both of them here and He includes both of them in solid teaching. Can we all agree that when Jesus teaches, His theology is sovereign and that it's solid? Right? So if you're going to get your theology from anywhere, I would recommend this, that you get your theology from Christ. So here Jesus is giving us this powerful message. Now I'm going to simplify this in four words. In four words, so that we can understand exactly what Jesus is saying here, exactly what He is teaching. The first word that you need to write down is this. How many of you watched Sesame Street as a kid? You're going to get every one of these words. You think Big Bird later. Any. First word you need to write down. Write down the word any. The second word that I want you to write down is the word none. The third word that I want you to write down is the word all. All. And the fourth word that I want you to write down is the word only. These words are very important. These are all common words that we understand. These words are very important so that we can understand that God is sovereign over electing people by His grace and that man is still responsible in believing. Pay attention to this. Your first word was what? Any. Watch what Jesus teaches us in verse 35. Verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in Me will never be thirsty. Now, that is your word, any. What is He saying there? He's saying, anyone who comes to Jesus by faith and believes will be saved. How do I know this to be true? Paul reiterated the same truth, didn't he? Romans 10, 13. What did he say? 
He told us in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that a truth that we can say? Yeah, the, the Word of God promises that. You bet it is. You bet it's a truth. Jesus is teaching that same truth here. That any who come to Jesus by faith and believe will be saved. Now, the next word is the word that often, often triggers all kinds of emotions. But remember, this is Jesus' teaching right here, not Kirk. Jesus then teaches us about the word none. None. Verse 36, But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Now, these people have not come to Christ. Why? There are none who can believe apart from a work of God. None who can believe. There has not been a work of God in their life yet to allow them to believe. So none can believe unless there is a work of God. How do I know this? Well, we can go back into John in the same Gospel that we're in now. We can go to John chapter 3 in that conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus in verse 3. And it says, in reply, Jesus declared in John chapter 3, 3, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, when he was talking about being born again, he was talking about being born of the Spirit. He is not talking about your natural birth. He is talking about the rebirth or regeneration or new birth in Christ. That is what he is referencing there in John chapter 3. So any, any who come to Jesus by faith and believe will be saved. None, none, none who can believe, none can believe, excuse me, apart from a work of God. And then we see the next word. Write it down. All. All. And this word says, all who God wills to come to Jesus will come. Not one more, not one less. I know what people say. I don't know that I believe that. Not one more, not one less. There will not be a vacant seat in heaven. There won't be a room because we know that He has gone to prepare a room for all of those. And if He goes and He prepares that room, He's going to come back and He's going to take you so that you will be where He is. Now, He has not prepared rooms for everyone. He has only prepared rooms for those who will believe. There will not be vacant rooms. We will will not get to heaven and say, oh, whose apartment is that? Nobody's living there. Oh, they just didn't believe, so they didn't make it. You say, well, I don't know that I believe that. Well, let's read verses 37 and 39 again and take it up with Jesus. You want to do that? Verse 37 says this. Read it with me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. How many? All who gave them. Say it loudly like you believe it. All that the Father gives me will, right, come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. There's your eternal security there. Why are you secure? Because all who the Father has given Him will come. You're secure because of God. Understand that. That's where your assurance is found. Now, let's read on. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me. Pay attention. That I shall lose none, watch this, of all that He has given me. None of all that He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. I will lose none of all that He has given me. So all who God wills to come to Jesus in His divine, wise counsel in eternity past. Did you know this? You were saved before the foundations of the earth in the mind of God. That's what Scripture declares. And I'm not going to apologize for what Scripture clearly declares. Neither is Jesus. Jesus is saying here, in reference to the all, all who God wills to come to Jesus will come. Not one more, not one less. No vacant seats at the wedding supper. No vacant eternal dwelling places provided by the Son through the Father. There will be no vacancy. Now, a lot of people say, well, that seems kind of like a a harsh doctrine. That seems kind of mean. You ought to get on your face and thank God that there is a place prepared for you that He sovereignly chose to give you grace and mercy at the cross so that you could believe. And when you did believe, you can know this, that you are assured the security of that place that He has provided for you. Stop worrying about the things you don't control. 
So we've seen any, none, all. Let's look at only in this text. Only. Only those who trust in Jesus through saving faith will have a future resurrection and eternal life. Only those. Verse 40. Look what it says. Verse 40. It says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Only those who trust in Jesus through saving faith will have a future resurrection and eternal life. We've seen the sovereignty of God in salvation, and we have seen the responsibility of man as taught by Jesus Two truths. You can't erase either one of these truths. In fact, when you get to the truth of the sovereignty of God and salvation in Scripture, rejoice because you have such a great God. When you get to, to the place in Scripture where it shows the responsibility of man to trust in God and Christ by faith, rejoice that God has allowed you to, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ. And don't try to erase either one of the truths that God's Word declares are true. There's been enough fighting over this for the ages. Jesus clears it up here. Before simple words, any, none, all, and only. And I know this. This has been causing questions forever. So we have questions, right? Let's answer the questions from the text. Let's do that quickly so that we don't linger here. Who can come to Jesus? Are you ready? Any who trust Him by faith. It doesn't matter how wretched you are. If He opens your eyes sovereignly to see the truth and your ears sovereignly to hear the truth, and He quickens your dead spirit, I promise you, that is the only criteria that you must meet. And by faith you will trust in Jesus Christ because it is His faith that He has given you to believe in that moment. So who can come to Jesus? Any who trust in Him by faith. That's good news, isn't it? That's why the Gospel is called the good news. I can preach this to everyone. Because so many people say, well, I believe in the whosoever will may come. Me too. But I also believe in the whosoever He wills are the only ones who will come. And He will not lose not one single one of them because He has given them to the Son. And the Son has promised that He will resurrect them in the end to eternal life. So who can believe, right? The next question. None apart from the work of God. None. We get down to verse 44. You can argue with Him if you want, but He's going to tell us again in verse 44 that no one comes unless the Father who sent Him draws them. I can tell you right now, confidently, I can say no one. No one can believe apart from the work of God in regeneration, in the rebirth that we see in John chapter 3. You say, well, that's not the way I was taught that. I just want to help you here. You were taught incorrectly. We're looking at Jesus here. This is not Kirk giving you his ideas or his opinions. We're just looking at Jesus and how He taught any, none, all, and only. Who will come to Jesus? Watch this. Who's going to make it in the end? All whom the Father gives the Son according to the Father's will. There is a name above the door for every single one of the elect and God knows exactly who they are. Because He has given them to the Son. And the Son has bought, brought redemption to them. You say, well, I don't like that. Here's the thing. Don't get mad at me for it. You have to take it up with Him. You have to take it up with Him. Because when I see God in His holiness, you know what I wonder most of all? Not how could He choose only some to be saved. I wonder how could He choose any to be saved. Because I deserve hell. And I deserve mercy. Everybody gets all caught up that Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated passage in Romans chapter 9. I can't believe that God would hate Esau. I can't believe that God would love Jacob. I can't believe that God would love Kirk. That's a God of grace. That's a God of mercy. You need to see Him for who He really is. You see Him for who He really is. Then doctrine and theology comes alive for you. And you bow humbly at His feet. That's what these men needed to do in this crowd that had gathered with Jesus. But that's what they were not doing because they had not been spiritually reborn. Who can come to Jesus? All whom the Father gives the Son according to the Father's will. Who has eternal life? You ready for this? Only those who look to the Son, Jesus, and believe. Only those who look to the Son, Jesus, and believe, and believe in who He is and what He did for them at the cross. Here's where I find myself in this. I don't know who the Father has chosen or elected to salvation to give to the Son. That's what He's talking about there. I don't know those things. Watch this. I don't claim to know those things. I'll go ahead and tell you this. I'm not big enough to fully understand that. But I do know what the Scriptures say clearly. 
I know this, that whenever somebody truly comes to Christ, whenever they truly believe by faith, repenting of their sin and turning to Him and Him alone, I do know this, that upon hearing the Gospel, when God quickens a man, opens his eyes spiritually and his ears spiritually, He quickens his dead spirit to believe, and the man believes, I know this, that man is one of the ones that the Father gave to the Son. Why? Because he'll lose none of all that the Father has given him. None of them. I also know that whoever believes does so in accordance with the fact that God decreed for them to believe in eternity past. That's how big our God is. And I'm thankful for that. It causes me to fall on my face and say, Lord, I can't believe that in eternity past, You intimately cared for me in such a way before I ever did anything good or before I ever did anything bad. You cared for me in such a way that You made sovereign provision not just for my life, but for all eternity. And You delivered that in Christ Jesus on the cross. We see the powerful message of Jesus. I have learned in my life and I have determined in all of this to only do what I'm called to do in regard to this. You know what I'm called to do? I'm called to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm called in preaching the Gospel to urge men of every tribe and tongue and nation and color. I am called to urge men to repent and to turn to Jesus knowing this full well. That unless God does a sovereign work of grace in them, they won't turn. But it doesn't change the fact that I have a responsibility to preach and it doesn't change the fact that they have a responsibility to believe. So then what I do is when I'm through preaching, you know what I do? I trust in God. I trust in God and I allow Him to be in control of everything that He is in control of. All He has called me to do is preach the Gospel. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. I'm not ashamed of that Gospel. And when I preach that Gospel, you know what He does? He calls those He has chosen effectually to receive His grace and His mercy. Why? Because He'll lose none of all who the Father has given Him. Then I preach. I trust God to do the convincing. I trust God to do the convicting. The effectual calling. The conversion. That's all up to God. And it's Amazing when we rest in that peace, right? I can tell you all the theological things that surround everything that we looked at. But just to rest in the simplicity of it and to not complicate it, any, none, all, and only. Any who come to Jesus by faith and believe will be saved. None can believe apart from a work of God. Then we see all, all who God wills to come to Jesus will come. He's not going to lose, not one single one of them. And only those who trust in Jesus through saving faith will have a future resurrection and eternal life. I can rest in those things and I can teach those things from the Word of God and I can teach those things accurately. Why? Because Jesus did. He made it very clear here, didn't He? You see, it's a powerful message, but we see that in His preaching of the powerful message, it brings us to the third point, which is this, the problem made clear. There's a problem here. I just want to go ahead and tell you this. The problem's not Jesus. The problem the crowd that He's speaking with. Here's the problem, verse 41. We see this. Verse 41, he says, At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. How many? None. No one. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to Me. What He's saying is you're not listening. You can't hear. No one has seen the Father except the One who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. Here's the problem made clear. These men, they neglected to recognize Jesus. They neglected to recognize Jesus. 41 and 42 tell us that. 41 and 42, what are they talking about? This is the kid who we knew when he was growing up with his father, Joseph the carpenter. We know this guy. How how is he even now making these claims? He's, He's the bread that came down from heaven. We know that he came from Nazareth. But they were only looking from their physical human eyes. And Jesus is making that very clear. You have a problem. You're neglecting to recognize who I really am. 
What did John say? John tells us, John chapter 20, verse 31, that these signs I have recorded. Why? So that you may believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And in believing that you what? You may receive eternal life. They neglected to recognize Jesus. Why is that a problem? Because if you don't recognize Jesus by faith, just as we saw in the powerful message that He preached in verse 35-40, through 40, if you don't receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not saved. You're not going to be saved and there is no eternal life for you. I don't care how you want to hash that out theologically. Without Christ, you will not be forgiven of your sins. Without Christ, your, your sin has not been atoned for. Without Christ, you will not spend an eternity in heaven. Period. They neglected to recognize who He was and what He did. And they needed God to do a work in their lives. Why, why can we confidently say that they needed God to do a work in their lives? Because they just weren't getting it. They began to grumble in verses 43-46. through And Jesus has stopped grumbling among yourself. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. He's letting them know the Father hasn't drawn you. Stop being so frustrated. Stop grumbling about these things. Because if the Father draws you, I'll raise you up in the last days. But He lets them know it's written in the prophets that they will be taught by God. They're not accepting the fact that He is God standing there teaching them. Because they're not accepting that fact, they're not listening to the words that He says, and they are revealing that they are truly unbelievers. Horatius Bonner said this about unbelief. He said that all unbelief is the belief of a lie. All unbelief is the belief of a lie. They're believing the lie that this is just Joseph, the son of the carpenter, instead of seeing as Jesus, God incarnate. And they are in their unbelief and Jesus wants them to see that. That's why He's making their problems so clear. Why? Because when we realize that we're in our unbelief, if you realize that you are in your unbelief today because God sovereignly shows you that, He is showing you that so that you will call on Jesus to save your wretched soul, I assure you. Jesus is showing them this. That they needed God to do a work in their lives to help because they are sinners. They are unbelievers. They are desperate. Desolate without Him. They couldn't see or hear the things of God. In fact, Matthew chapter 13, we see that it's taught there by Christ Himself in verse 13 that this is why I speak to them in parables. He quotes Isaiah here, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. Jesus reiterates what Isaiah said in the prophets about this particular group of people. They had a problem. They did not see the necessity of faith. That necessity of faith was absent. Verse 47, we see this. Verse 47, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. You let them know. Let's flip that. He who doesn't believe doesn't have everlasting life. To believe in what? Many people say, well, I believe in God. So do the demons and they tremble. So you're in the same category of demons. Do you want to stay there? He's talking about belief in the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is who He says that He is. And He came to do what He said that He came to do. And that was to lay down His life as a sacrifice for sinners. That we would be saved through His blood that He shed on the cross in our place as our substitute. They didn't see their necessity to believe by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, we know this says that without faith it is impossible to please God. These men weren't God-pleasers. They were only pretending to please God because God-pleasers please God by trusting in what God by faith tells them to trust in. They weren't trusting in Christ. The problem was made clear. We can't believe if God doesn't open our eyes. And if we believe, watch this, it proves that God has opened our eyes. It's pretty simple, isn't it? We can't believe if God doesn't open our eyes, and if we do believe, it proves that God did open our eyes. Because these men who had not yet had their eyes open, and Jesus was making that clear, you haven't come because the Father hasn't drawn you, because no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. You haven't believed because you can't. Some of you walked in this room this morning in a condition of unbelief. You hadn't figured out why you can't believe. My prayer is this today, that God would open your eyes to see the truth. That He would open your ears to hear the truth. That He would quicken your dead spirit to new life in Christ. And that you would, by the faith that He has given you, graciously believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And then, you can I can promise you this, have no doubt 
that you have eternal life because you believe in Christ. That is the work of God that Jesus talked about in verse 29 last week. Not a work of you, but a work of God. We see the problem made clear. Next, I want to move into the fourth point, the the promised Messiah. The promised Messiah. Verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. They ate the man in the desert, but yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. He says, your forefathers ate temporary sustenance. But you're looking at Can you imagine when he said it? Here. Here is the manna that if you eat, you will not die. The manna right here, where they're going to, to shove the crown of thorns. That manna. The manna who they're going to rip the flesh from my back. That, that manna. The beard from my face. The spear through my side. That's the manna that I'm talking about. It's eternal sustenance. The promised Messiah is showing them once again who He is, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is My flesh which I will give for the life of the world. The promised Messiah preaching that message. Saying that just as Moses and the Israelites received manna from God miraculously. God has miraculously sent the bread of life, the true manna that that picture pointed to. And I'm standing before you. Just as God fed the Israelites temporarily through the bread that would be found on the ground and through the bread that they would make from that, just as God gave them stipulations on how that would be there every single day and it was a guarantee and His faithfulness was proven through that. Jesus is saying a bigger thing here. He's saying all those things pointed to the real bread of life. Me. And I'm standing before you today not to offer you the temporary sustenance that manna offered the Israelites. I'm offering you sustenance from heaven not in the form of of something that you physically eat. I'm offering you the bread of life, the sustenance from heaven that the Father has provided. In fact, we know this in John chapter 1 when we were there. Verse 14 of John chapter 1 when we look at Jesus being the sustenance from heaven. Verse 14, He says this, "...the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the One and Only who came from the Father." full of grace and truth. Remember that back in chapter 1? What is he saying? That God incarnate is the bread of life. And I am here before you. The promised Messiah. The sustenance from heaven, but also the source of life. Life as we know it. Right? In Him all things were created. Nothing was created in all of heaven and earth that was not created by Him or for Him. We know this about Christ, don't we? And he's saying that in me, I am the source of life. And the source of life, eternal. First John chapter 5, John says this in his epistle. He says, and this is the testimony, verse 11. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. Now watch this. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. He who has a son has life, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. He said, but I came in today and I'm breathing and my heart is pumping. He must be talking about some other kind of life. He is. He's talking about spiritual life. Because if you came in here today an unbelieving sinner, even though your heart is beating and even though your lungs are operating and you would say that you have life, God would say that you are still dead in your sins and your transgressions because you are spiritually dead. And so we see the Messiah who has been promised the sustenance from heaven, the source of life. He's showing them these things, but the last thing that He shows them, not only is He the sustenance from heaven and the source of life, He's also the sacrifice for sinners. Watch what He says in verse 51. Verse 51, the Lord says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. 
This bread is My flesh, watch this, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus was alluding to His cross that was to come. He was telling them, not only am I the sustenance from heaven, the source of life that we have seen throughout all of the Scriptures, I am the sacrifice for sinners. First John chapter 4, John says this is love. Not that we loved God. Oh, because if you were honest, you would have to admit, no, you did not. You loved sin. You loved you. You loved your flesh. You loved the things of this world prior to Christ. He says, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Aren't you thankful that He loved us and sent an atoning sacrifice for our sins? Jesus, the promised Messiah, is pointing to that sacrifice. He was pointing to the fact that He was going to die on a cross as the Old Testament prophets promised that there would be a sacrifice. He is telling them, I am a sacrifice, and through my sacrifice you can live spiritually. He is the only one who can graciously give to anyone eternal life. My prayer is that He grants to you that eternal life this very day. We go to the next thing, the perplexed mob. And we won't tarry here, but we will look at verse 52. The perplexed mob. Verse 52 says this about this mob who was gathered here. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Right? Great question. Huh, standing there and a guy starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Surely you're going to ask the question, what is he talking about? How can he say this? They were perplexed. Why? Because these unbelievers maintained their fleshly approach even in this. They maintained their fleshly approach to Jesus. Jesus was giving them spiritual lessons. He was giving them spiritual thoughts. He was pointing them to eternal life spiritually. They couldn't do anything but interpret it through their flesh. It couldn't be understood to them and it frustrated them. They couldn't get out of their own way and just believe, right? They kept complicating things. Many of you come in week after week after week. You keep complicating things. You keep trying to figure all this out in your human intellect. and You can't understand why you can't figure it out. You can't figure it out. Jesus says something to them that they can't figure out. He says, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. They say, how can this man say this? It confirms that they were still looking from the natural, not the spiritual. Jesus was doing something here and teaching them this principle, but they misunderstood the message. They maintained their fleshly approach. They misunderstood the message. Why did they misunderstand the message? Because they were again trying to interpret the message by their human nature, their flesh. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, in verse 4, it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now, these men were first blinded because of their sin. And we see this in 2 Corinthians that Paul teaches that they were also blinded because Satan had kept them in their blindness. I don't know about you, but that causes me to say thank You, Lord, that You defeated Satan on my behalf and that You defeated sin on my behalf and that You allowed me to see beyond my flesh because the enemy and my sin, my greatest enemy, had me blinded to the truth of the Gospel. Thank You, Lord, that You revealed that truth to me. This mob is perplexed because they keep missing this, misunderstanding it, missing it. Completely just ignoring the things that Jesus is is teaching and showing. They missed the Savior. They're saying things like, how can this man tell us to eat of his flesh? What did they do? They focused on the law, but they focused on the law from a physical perspective. They went back to Leviticus chapter 17, where it talks about not eating flesh with blood in it and not drinking blood. And they went back to the law there, and they tried to use the word to disprove the Christ who was standing before them. Have you ever met those people who try to use the Bible to disprove Christianity? Come on! We hear it all the time. No, there's contradictions in the Bible. No, there's not. There's contradictions in your mind. You're not reading it right. Go back and try again. The Bible is true in every sense of the word. It is inerrant. It is infallible. And it is inspired by God. It is without error. Why? Because God is without error and He is perfect. And so is His Word. Here's what they did. They went back in their mind to the Levitical law. They said, there's no way. There's no way that He can tell us to eat of His flesh and drink of His blood. They were missing The true Savior. They were missing the fact that in John chapter 1, verse 17, as we have seen in our study, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
They were going back to the law, picking out things, and Jesus saying, but I'm grace and I'm truth standing here before you. This is not fleshly. You can't approach this fleshly. This is not about your obedience. It's not about you fulfilling a law. This is about my grace and this is about the truth and I'm standing right before you. It perplexed this mob. It disturbed them. In fact, we know that in just a little while, if you read on in the text, many of them departed and no longer continued to follow Jesus because they never were true followers at all. They just wanted something from Him. And here's my prayer for you, that none of you miss the Savior today. That none of you miss the Savior today. That you see He is who He says that He is. You realize that He revealed Himself to you and is revealing Himself to you today not so that you can historically know about Him, not so that you can, you, can, you can put some more into your human intellect and so you can value your knowledge more about knowing things, but today you see that He's revealing Himself to you so that you can know Him. That you can know Him intimately. That you can know Him as your Savior who came to this earth and who shed His precious blood to rescue you from the sin that kept you from your Creator. We see the perplexed mob. And then we'll finish with this. If anyone is still listening. Anyone still listening? Let's finish with the pictorial metaphor. They were confused. What is this man saying? Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Jesus is going to let them know it's a picture. It's a picture. I've been talking to you about the manna because you understood the physical nature of that manna, but I'm telling you it is a picture and I'm giving you another picture. 53, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For My flesh is real food and My body is real drink. Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood remains in Me and I in Him. Just as the living Father sent Me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on Me will live because of Me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. He's saying, is that what you want? You want to stay in that category? They ate manna and still died. But he who feeds on this bread, talking about himself, will live forever. Now what in the world was Jesus teaching here? Eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man. Interesting. In fact, many people get to this passage of Scripture and just put it down and walk away from it and don't try to really examine and see what is he talking about. What he's not talking about, I'll go ahead and make this clear, he's not talking about cannibalism. Right? He's not talking about cannibalism at all because that would violate the law. The law forbids murder and if you're going to eat someone, we can just assume that you have to kill them first. Grotesque in all of its manner. So Jesus is not talking about cannibalism because many people would come to this and say, well, what in the world? I don't want to follow a Savior and I've heard this who promotes cannibalism. He's not saying literally eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. What He's also not saying, many people want to, especially those who have been around church for uh, quite some time, they want to automatically jump to the Lord's Supper. right? So, so, so many people um, jump to the Lord's Supper and they say it's got to be talking about the Lord's Supper because we know in the Lord's Supper we see a picture of Christ's body and His blood. Here's the thing, it's not talking about the Lord's Supper, and I can verify that because the Lord's Supper has not even been instituted yet. Not till later on. So he's not talking about the Lord's Supper. He's not talking about cannibalism. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? If we break this down and we interpret this in the clear manner, there's only one way, the obvious way. And I pray that you would understand that. That the best way to interpret Scripture is the obvious way. Scripture is the best commentary on Scripture. We know that the law would not allow us to commit cannibalism. We know this. and there, that The Lord's Supper had not been instituted here, but had the Lord's Supper been instituted at this time, He would have to be talking about what many believe and they call transubstantiation, which means that when they observe the Lord's Supper, the, the, the bread actually literally becomes the body of Christ, and the wine actually literally becomes the blood of Christ. And I'll tell you this, that's not true. Those are just symbolic of the things, the union, and, and, and symbolic of what we are and who we are in Christ and what He has done for us. It is symbolic of the new covenant, just as Jesus taught that it was. But if it's not talking about those things, the obvious and the best interpretation is this. 
Jesus is giving a pictorial metaphor comparing the manna of the Old Testament to Himself. That is exactly what He is doing. Don't leave this to try to find some other truth. He is exactly doing that. And He is teaching these people that what it means to eat of My flesh and drink of My blood, to eat of the flesh and drink of the blood of the the Son of Man, that is when we confirm our spiritual need to find life in Christ and Christ alone. This teaching that He's doing is confirming their spiritual need for life in Christ and Christ alone. We know that the New Testament teaches this. That we died with Christ, those who were in Christ. We were buried with Christ. And we were raised with Christ. We are in Christ. And what He is saying here is those who are in Christ feed from Christ. So He is confirming our spiritual need to find life in Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Apart from that, apart from Christ, we're dead. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Watch this. <coughs> in. In. Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is talking about us being in Christ. That's what it means to feed on the body and the blood of Christ. He is, as the manna was, their temporary sustenance. He is our eternal life. That's what He's been teaching this whole time. He is our eternal sustenance, confirming our spiritual need for Christ. And then also teaching this principle of eating the flesh and drinking the blood of the Son of Man, He is calling us to faith in Christ. To trust Him and Him alone and His blood that sacrifice to cleanse us of all of our sin and to grant to us the eternal life that He and He alone promised through that blood. This is calling us to trust by faith in Christ, feeding on Him for the salvation that we need. Calling out to Him, Lord, if You don't save me, I will surely perish for all eternity. I need You. I need to feed from You and who You are to eat of Your flesh and drink of Your blood. And thirdly, we see that this picture not only is confirming our spiritual need for Christ, not only calling us to faith in Christ, but this picture is certifying eternal life for all who trust in Christ. He is the only eternal sustenance that has been provided. You cannot have eternal life in anything else. Not your works, not in your religion, not in your good deeds, not in your offerings, not in your baptism, not in any ritual that you could ever do on this earth. You find life in Christ and eternal life in Christ and that and that alone. What he's saying is, metaphorically, we must feed on Christ by faith. By faith and walk in spiritual union with Christ and with the Father because we are in Christ and in walking in spiritual union, We are feeding off of them and we are feeding from them and the result is life and life eternal. Why? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Him shall never die. So perhaps today, as we have looked at all this, the point missed, the group that missed the point. Maybe you're missing the point of Christ or you have been. And today He's opening your eyes to see the truth. Call on Him to save you because Jesus has preached a powerful message. And what is that message? that any who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If God is opening your eyes to see your need for Him today, He's doing the sovereign work that He says must happen. Trust in Jesus, the only one who can save you. Because your problem that separates you from God is your unbelief and your sin. Don't stay there today if God is calling you out of that. Don't fight God in the midst of that. He's rescuing you. You see the promised Messiah, the one who promised that He is the eternal sustenance from heaven, the eternal source of life, and the eternal sacrifice for sinners. Trust in Him today for your sustenance. Trust in Him as the source of life and life eternal. And trust in Him as the only sacrifice for sinners that is acceptable and that reconciles sinners to a holy God. So perhaps today God is opening your eyes to see the truth of the bread of life. Perhaps today God is showing you He has provided a way for you. Specifically for you. That way is found only in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through His sacrifice. My prayer is this, that today, that God would quicken your dead heart to receive the truth of Jesus Christ. That He would bring you to saving faith. That you would repent of your sin. 
and turn to Christ and Christ alone calling on Him. The true bread of life. The only one who can sustain you for all eternity. For those of you who have been missing the point, I say this as I close. He has shown you today that you are missing the point. He has shown you that you are missing the point so He can reveal and has revealed the truth unto you today so that you can believe and trust in Christ. Believe and trust in Christ. Repenting of your sin. Returning to Him this very day. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your Word because it's true. God, I just pray that now Your truth would set those free who have heard it. Lord, I'm not talking of those who have heard it with their human ears. I'm talking to those who You have allowed them to hear it for the first time in the depths of the soul that You are right now awakening to life. God, I pray as they hear it that they would respond in faith and trust and belief today, calling on You and You alone to save them. That they would find sustenance and eternal life in You. Because we know this, that it can only be found in You. Lord, save the sinner today. Bring them out of their unbelief, their darkness, their sin. And bring them into faith and forgiveness in Christ today. And we'll give You all the glory for it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Holy Spirit, we yield to You. We depend on You to do the work of God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the dark.